Welcome to today's episode on Glued to the Game. My name is Spencer and I'm your host. I hope you're having a marvelous day today, wherever and whenever you're listening to this episode. Today I'll be previewing UFC Fight Night, Sandhagen vs. Song, that goes down on September 17th at the UFC Apex. Now this main event was announced a very, very long time ago. I think it was in May or so, right after Song Yadong knocked out Marlon Moraes. Um, in the, I think that was a co-main event of that fight night. But um, yeah, we have Corey Sanhagen here trying to defend his spot atop uh, among the Bantamweight elite. And Song Yadong currently ranked 10th in the 135 division, um, trying to jump a lot of people and hopefully enter the title conversation. But um, one thing that is interesting is that this card was actually filled pretty early on. I remember, I think I was looking at the bouts in June or July, and this September 17th card was basically full. And I think like two to three weeks ago, this, or maybe a bit longer ago, but this fight night had like 16 fights or at least 15 fights so i mean they're loading this up and to be honest there is not a lot of name value like a lot of people do not know most of these people but if i'm being completely honest i'm incredibly excited for this this has multiple fight of the night contenders um have a bunch of dana white contender series alums you got some guys um who are just slowly working their way to the top and yeah i'm really looking forward to it there's a lot of fights that i am gonna keep my eye out for both on the prelims and on the main card but let's get started the first fight of the night goes down between nicholas mata and cameron van camp uh van camp is also um a 170 uh welterweight who just came off of his ufc debut i believe is on short notice against andre fialio at ufc 274 and to be honest i mean he actually hurt Fialio before Fialio ended up knocking him out but that just shows the kind of power that this guy possesses um this fight's going to be at lightweight which is I think the natural weight for Nicholas Mata he's coming off of a knockout loss against the legendary Jim Miller but yeah I mean I really think someone is going to be finished in this fight um all four of Mata's losses were by finish Mata has eight finishes himself Cameron Van Camp only has two decision wins out of 15 career wins and none of those are by submission so yeah i mean mata hits like a truck the dude has some heavy heavy hands but um yeah going back to van camp he is going to be much much bigger compared to mata he's got a five inch height advantage and a four inch reach advantage um something that is uh something that seems a little bit surprising for someone with that kind of build is that he does have some slick jiu-jitsu skills he can also light it up on the feet like i mentioned before but yeah this is going to be a very very fun fight to start off the night um two guys who are i wouldn't say trying to save their ufc careers right now because i'm not i'm pretty sure this is uh i'm pretty sure van camp still has at least another fight on his contract but yeah i mean these two guys uh, are trying to trying to get a ufc win here but um my prediction is Cameron Van Camp by round two KO. I think he's really going to um, be able to land his shots and he's going to rock Mata. He's going to drop him and he could potentially ground and pound or he can find his back, find his neck um, and, and really make a choke him or guillotine him and um, yeah, earn a finish in the second round. So that's a prediction. Next up is Tony Gravely and Javid Basharat at 135. 
Now, I'm a huge fan of Javid Bashra. I watched him on the Contender Series. I watched him make his debut against Trevin Jones, and I'm very, very impressed with him. Um, his younger brother, Farid Bashra, just won a UFC contract on Dating White's Contender Series earlier this week, and now the older brother is looking to finish out the job for the family. But this is not an easy fight. I mean, Tony has a wealth of experience. It's two fights this year. Um, his first one was at UFC 270. Um, he won a decision against Simon Oliveira, who's coming off of Dana White's Contender Series. And that, that was just a wrestling clinic. I mean, I think he attempted 15 takedowns and landed 11 of them. Um, he controlled Oliveira on the ground for 11 minutes, and the fans did not like it. But, I mean, he just looked incredibly dominant that night. Um, and then after that, took on Johnny Munoz in April, I think it was on the Luque versus Muhammad 2 card, and he knocked out Johnny Munoz Jr. in the very first round. So he does have some polished striking, and he complements that well with his wrestling. But yeah, even though he's undersized for a bantamweight, um, he, you definitely cannot underestimate his skill set. Basharat, this is definitely his biggest test to date, but yeah, because of that, I think it's going to be a much closer fight than people expect. He's really going to need his uh, volume to win him rounds. And because Tony is just so well-rounded as a mixed martial artist, Basharat has to be careful. This is going to be... I think this could be a very, very greasy fight in terms of the scorecards. But ultimately, it should go down to who is going to land the bigger shots, who's going to have the bigger moments in terms of striking. And, you know, Basharat does have some submission threats. So I don't think Tony is going to want to um, endanger himself too much on the ground. So either way, this is going to be a pretty competitive fight. And my prediction, I have Javid Basharat edging out a close decision. Next up is Maria Agapova and Jillian Robertson. Um, for Agapova, this is another tough test in the grappling department. Um, her last fight, I think it was a, she got subbed by Moros in round one. I think that was on a pay-per-view. I can't remember, but yeah, she faces another grappler here in Jillian Robertson. Um, and Agapova does have some decent takedown defense, but once she's taken down, she kind of just accepts the position that she's in and she shows minimal urgency to get onto her feet. So that is definitely concerning for someone um, who is probably going to get taken down with someone that experienced as Jillian Robertson. Her path to victory is very, very simple. Take her down, grind her away, and basically just submit her. I mean, she, um, her jiu-jitsu is phenomenal. And yeah, women's fights are often more unpredictable than men's in general, but Surprisingly, I feel like Robertson is clearly the better fighter, and she clearly, clearly knows how she can win this fight. Um, Robertson does have a 10-7 record, but that is really nothing to be ashamed of because her last three losses were against J.J. Aldrich, Miranda Maverick, and Taya Santos, who some argue should be the current flyweight champ. So, yeah, Jillian Robertson... Um, I won't say this is going to be an extremely easy fight for her because Agapova is still um, a, a dangerous striker, but because of her high submission threat, she should handle her. And my prediction is Jillian Robertson by round one submission. Moving on to the lightweights between Trey Ogden and Daniel Zell Huber. Um, Zell Huber 
um, fought and won a contract on Dating White's Contender Series just about a year ago, and he is making his highly anticipated UFC debut against Ogden, who made his debut just a few months back against Jordan Levitt, in which he lost a split decision. Um, Trey's a really, really skilled grappler. Um, I was just taking a look at his um, career stats, and he's never knocked anyone out, but he's also never been knocked out. All of his wins and losses, or all of his finishes, have been by submission. Um, even when he's on his back, even when he is just being dominated by other grapplers, he is always going to attempt submissions. That's what he loves doing. That is probably his clearest and only way to win. Because Zell Huber is going to have a huge reach advantage. He's going to be the bigger guy. And this guy is a sharp, sharp striker. Zell Huber has some good takedown defense. He is just going to look to keep the fight standing. He's just going to slowly chip away from the outside, use his leg kicks, and work on that jab. But, yeah, I think that his output is really going to overwhelm uh, Trey Ogden. I don't think that he's going to be able to knock him out because, like I said, Ogden has never been knocked out. But, hey, there's always a first for everything. And, yeah, Zell Huber is only 23 years old. He's 12-0, making his UFC debut. A big win here will help him get started in the UFC on the right foot, and I think he's going to do exactly that. My prediction, Zell Huber by unanimous decision. Next up is a fight between Loma Lukbonmi and Denise Gomes. Gomes just fought on Dana White's Contender Series just a few weeks ago. She's coming in on a short notice here, taking on the Muay Thai-based and Thailand-based Lukbonmi. Uh, she's 6-3. And um, Luke Bonami's opponents have had more control time than her in her last five fights. Um, it just simply because of that, it just feels like Gomes can really work something in the clinch and win rounds like that. Um, Luke Bonami is not she 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 she's not a good grappler, um, and I don't think she is going to want to grapple. This is just going to be kind of a kickboxing fight for her. But Denise Gomes is, is definitely um, someone who knows how to take advantage of these kinds of. Um, situations. A lot of people are overlooking Denise Gomes simply because she is just coming off a contender series and Luke Bonmi is is a little bit of an experienced uh, UFC fighter. But, you know, Denise Gomes, four KOs in her career. She's vicious. She's nasty. She's looking for the finish. But, I don't know. I just feel like the Muay Thai from Loma Luke Bonmi is going to overpower the kill shot that Denise Gomes is looking for. I feel like she understands that her opponent is inexperienced in the UFC, making her debut. The nerves may get to her, and because of that, she's going to capitalize on the opportunities because she's been in those situations before. Um, I'm not very, very confident in looking me, but... Um, just because I mean her six and three record is a little a little gross to look at on paper, but she has fought some some pretty tough girls, so I think that she's gonna get her seventh career win on Saturday. So I have look on me by decision. Next up is Aspen Ladd taking on Sarah McMahon. This is a wrestler versus wrestler matchup. This fight was supposed to occur at, um, I think it was a card in July, and then it got rescheduled 
um, for UFC San Diego, and then it got rescheduled again for this card. So hopefully third time's a charm, and they end up making the walk to the Octagon on Saturday night. But I might be kind of biased here, but I just do not like Aspen Lad. I have no clue how she managed to get two main events in her UFC career so far, and she lost both of them, I think. I can't remember if she... I know she fought in Sacramento in her first main event, but I can't remember if she won that fight. But she, she obviously did lose against Norma Dumont. I do remember that very, very vividly. But Sarah McMahon, 41 years old, former Olympic silver medalist in wrestling. Um, her last fight was a decision win over Ketelhoza uh, at UFC Columbus in March. So it's been a bit of a... Um, it's been a six-month break for her, but yeah. I think her game plan is just try to take Aspen Ladd down and try to replicate the success that she found on the ground last time out. Aspen Ladd definitely has better takedown defense than Kettleza, and it's going to be a tougher fight for her, but I just think that, I mean, she's hitting the end of her career here. She, I don't know if she has the ambition, if she has the desire to, to make a title run, but I think that she's going to be very, very persistent in her takedown attempts, and she's going to keep shooting, keep shooting, and eventually land one. She averages 4.38 takedowns per fight, and her striking is very, very minimal. She lands 2.26 significant strikes per minute and absorbs 1.95 of those. Um, to be completely honest, this fight is probably going to be boring for the most part. Um, I think we're going to see some extended entries, lots of lay and prey on the ground, and a bunch of time in the clinch. But with all that being said, I think McMahon is going to get the job done here. I have her winning by decision. Moving on to the welterweight division, a bout between Trevin Giles and Luis Cose. Uh, Trevin Giles, the police officer, is coming off of two straight losses. Um, the one earlier this year was against Michael Morales, the undefeated Ecuadorian prospect who made his debut and finished him in round one. His last fight before that was against Strickas Duplessis uh, at UFC 264 in the summer of 2021. So, not the most encouraging thing to see him get finished twice um, back to back, but this is a bit of a favorable matchup. However, Luis Cose is extremely dangerous in round one. Um, he has, I think, seven. Yeah, 100% finish rate. All seven of his finishes were in round one. So basically, for Jaws to win this, he just needs to manage the distance, stay away from the kill shots early on, let Kose wear himself out. I, I'm pretty sure Kose is not going to be stupid and just go in there trying to take his head off in round one. He's going to focus on the cardio, focus on the gas tank. So it's not going to be smooth sailing for Trevin Giles, even if it does get past round one. Um, I think he's just going to be, like I said, he's probably going to be pretty defensive for round one and just play it safe and let his experience take over in rounds two and three. His chin is shaky for only being 30 years old um, after getting rocked twice now, but he should be able to look for the takedowns and mix in the grappling along with his crisp boxing. I mean, I think 
there was one time he had an interview or something like that, and Trevin Giles said that he believes believed that he was the best boxer in the UFC, and it was funny at the time, but who knows? He might show some improvements uh, in this fight, but yeah. Because Kose has never been past the first round, I am usually never very confident in fighters like that because they're kind of one-dimensional. If they don't get the finish, you have no clue to expect from them. So because of that, the prediction is Trevin Giles by round three sub. A bit of a bold one, but I certainly can see that happening. The featured prelim of the night is... I mean, it's a grappler versus grappler matchup, but I'm a big fan of both of these guys. Damon Jackson taking on Pat Sabatini. Uh, both of these guys have pretty good records, but they really haven't faced any tough, tough competition. So Damon Jackson is coming off of a unanimous decision win over Dan Argetta. Um, I think that was on the Fazeev Dos Anjos card. And... The, the only thing that was concerning about that, I mean, it obviously is a basically flawless performance. He held him down for most of the fight. Um, his striking was, was okay there, but the fact that Argetto was coming in on short notice, I mean, I think it was literally like four or five days, and he couldn't finish him. Uh, I forgot who his original opponent was, but this is a guy who is very slick on the ground. He can pull submissions. He's... Um, He's very, very experienced, but he wasn't able to finish a much, much smaller opponent who was coming in on short notice. And usually that's not too big of a deal, but when you're going up against Pat Sabatini, who fights out of Renzo Gracie in Philadelphia, the odds are already stacked against you. Renzo Gracie is an outstanding gym in Philadelphia. Um, I'm not sure the exact number of UFC fighters they have, but what I do know for sure is that the record, the combined record of their UFC fighters from that gym, I don't know the exact number of wins, but they are undefeated. Um, some fighters out of there, obviously, Pat Sabatini, um, Andre Petrovsky, uh, Jeremiah Wells. Um, I'm pretty sure Joe Pfeiffer also fights out of there, who's actually fighter uh, later later on on the card. But yeah, just a few of these guys, um, and yeah, they are so good with the grappling over there at that gym, and that has translated into leaps and bounds in the UFC. Sabatini is an amazing wrestler, in my opinion. His fights may be boring to watch. But the skill, the commitment, the determination of Sabatini when it comes to fighting in the UFC octagon is mesmerizing. I love watching the dude fight. He is an absolute dog, an absolute warrior. And if, if I'm being real here, I think that this is a relatively simple fight here for him. He's going to take Damon Jackson down and control him. Uh, I definitely can see a possibility where he will be able to submit him. That is definitely very, very, a very, very strong possibility. Um, but, you know, Damon Jackson is a pretty durable guy. Um, and so the official prediction is Pat Sabatini by decision. Now we move on to the main car, which is opened 
by Anthony Fluffy Hernandez and Marc-Andre Berriol. Uh, Fluffy had a very, very wrestle-heavy approach in his last fight. I think it was at UFC 273 where he won against Josh Fremd. Uh, he really should use his jiu-jitsu early on. Uh, Berriol has some very mediocre takedown defense. And, you know, if we're basing and predicting the kind of fight that Hernandez wants, the kind of fight that he expects... It's just going to be a relentless takedown attempt after attempt until he finally converts because we've seen Marc-Andre Barrio get taken down. Um, his last fight, he got knocked out in 16 seconds. Uh, I remember watching this guy, uh, I think it was at the beginning of 2021 or something like that, and he fought. He was very, very active. He's fought like four or five times since then. And he is just like the definition of your average fighter. Like, I really, I'm trying to put this into simpler terms. I'm trying to, to kind of break this down, but I don't think I could do that. He's just such an average fighter. And I don't think Fluffy Hernandez is anything special, but I feel like Barrio is going to struggle in stuffing the takedowns, and I just don't think he's going to be able to light it up on the feet. I think Fluffy Hernandez takes him down, holds him there, and the prediction... Hernandez by round one submission. Moving on to the heavyweights, about between Tanner Bozer and Rodrigo Nascimento. Now, it was actually revealed that Tanner Bozer was offered to fight Walt Harris, but Walt Harris declined because he wasn't able to fight until October. And Walt Harris has, I mean, his last fight was, I think, I can't even remember. I mean, the guy's been inactive for a while now. I mean, there was a point where he was on, he was still in the UFC heavyweight rankings, and I was just getting so pissed because the guy wasn't fighting anybody. I mean, he's 14 and 11, he hasn't really beaten anyone notable in the last few years, and he was taking a spot in the rankings over young, up-and-coming guys, like, I think Alexander Romanov was who I had in mind, but yeah, that it's kind of crazy to me that he's still... I guess, looking for a fight. But anyways, into this matchup, um, Tanner Bozer is the much better boxer and striker. Uh, his one weakness, though, is being taken down. We saw what happened in his fight against Ilya Latifi. He was able to wrestle with him, and he won a decision like that. Nascimento, you know, this is the heavyweight division. These guys aren't really born and built to grapple, but Nascimento is going to have to incorporate that grappling in order to win this fight. I don't think he's going to be able to stand up for 15 minutes and outstrike him, outland him, and win a decision like that. Bozer is the sharper, faster guy, and because he has already taken on someone like Latifi, who is pretty decent at its takedowns and getting the fight to the ground, I think he'll do a sufficient job in keeping the fight standing. However, with that being said, if Nascimento somehow is able to land a takedown, I mean, we, we've seen how sloppy heavyweight fights can get in terms of getting it to the mat. I mean, just look at what happened last week. UFC 279, Jake Collier and Chris Barnett. The way the fight was going for Barnett, he was about to be finished. He somehow survived. And then in round two, Collier shot for a takedown, but... The guy just, I think he slipped or something, and Barnett was able to take advantage of that, and he finished him on the ground like that. Nascimento, 
can potentially finish him on the ground if it does get there. I think he could be in cruise control, but that is a low possibility in my opinion. I think Tanner Bowser gets a job done here. My prediction, round 2 KO for the Canadian. Next up, Alan Amadovsky and Joe Pfeiffer. Now, I have been looking forward to this one ever since it was announced. I think it was in July um, because... Alan Amadovsky started off 8-0 in his career, and he's lost three straight in the UFC. This is his fourth fight on his contract, and I believe it is his final one as well. Joe Pfeiffer just came off of Dana White's Contender Series, the only one, the only winner in episode one of this season to have won a contract for his round two knockout over Ozzy Diaz. Now, like I mentioned earlier, Joe Pfeiffer fights and trains out of Renzo Gracie. The guy hits. I mean, this. I know that he is coming off a contender series, and we have not seen him face real competition in the UFC, but I think that this guy is so talented. If I'm being. Honest here, the UFC is just setting up Amadovsky and setting him off in a bad way. He is going to get absolutely demolished in this fight. Joe Pfeiffer can realistically finish this fight inside a minute. I think that Amadovsky has like a 1% chance of winning. Pfeiffer is the taller, bigger, stronger guy. Amadovsky... His only real threat is in the striking department. And even then, I think Joe Pfeiffer is the better striker. If the fight goes to the ground, Joe Pfeiffer has the massive grappling advantage. He can submit him. He can land a kill shot, drop him, and sub him while, while he's down. I mean, Pfeiffer, this is his debut. <laughs> but I am so pumped for this fight. I love it when they feed up-and-coming prospects to old vets who are on losing streaks. I mean, it's kind of sad, and it's kind of mean to think about, but it kind of has to be done. Amadovsky isn't going to get re-signed by the UFC. You want to give a guy like Joe Pfeiffer, an up-and-coming prospect, a winnable fight to start off their UFC career, and this is the perfect opportunity to do so. Amadovsky came off of, I think it was a three-year layoff, to take on Joseph Holmes a few months ago, and he got subbed in round one. Like, the guy is not UFC caliber at this stage in his career. And yeah, Joe Pfeiffer, he's got the footwork. He's got explosive level changes. This is tailor-made for him. The prediction, Joe Pfeiffer, round one, KO. Next up, Andre Feely taking on Bill Algio at 145 pounds. Now, Andre Feely was originally supposed to fight Lando Venata, but he pulled out um, because of an injury. But either way, both of those bouts, this one that we have right now and the one that got canceled, are going to be fun. I mean, Andre Feely is only 32 years old, but it seems like he is much, much, much older in fighting age. He has gone to war full three-round decisions against some of the best in the division. And as a result of that, he has suffered. Um, I just feel like he is a shade of himself from the past. 
This is not the Andre Feely that we saw in 2018 and 2019. He came back and fought Joe Anderson Brito um, a few months ago, and he got knocked down round one brutally. And if we're doing MMA math here, which I do not like to do because it is not very, very logical, but Bill Algio beat Joe Anderson Brito, and Joe Anderson Brito beat Andre Feely. Feely hasn't really had a convincing win since he beat Shaman Marais in 2019, and Marais isn't even in the UFC anymore. Feely, um, I just feel like the damage he's accumulated over the past few years is slowly catching up to him. He should look for the takedowns and work the kicks, but Bill Algio is, is cruising right now in the UFC. I think he's on a two-fight win streak. He just beat Herbert Burns in Long Island, and this is a very, very winnable fight for him. Bill Algio isn't a powerful striker, but he should favor a kickboxing affair here. Um, he lands at a high clip, he is a high volume striker, and it's probably going to be a back and forth fight. But Algio is on the. He, he's trending upward, and Andre Feely is trending downwards. I think Bill Algio is going to get a huge win here, and he's going to win by decision. And the co-main event, Chidi and Joe Kuwani taking on Gregory Rodriguez. This fight is going to be fireworks. Two big dudes for 185 who will swing and bang. Someone is going to get sent into the shadow realm. Chidi has had an impressive start to his UFC career. He's got two first-round KOs following in his brother's footsteps who found the UFC a few years ago. But the problem is, age has already caught up to him. He's past his prime. He's 30. I mean, although it certainly doesn't look like that, but he's 33 years old. Uh, Robocop has the huge grappling advantage. That is the biggest problem here for Njokuwani, and that is the biggest threat that he's going to have to neutralize. If it comes to purely striking, I think both guys are pretty, pretty even. I mean, they both possess raw power. They both are very technical. But Rodriguez can and should take this fight to the ground. Uh, Dusko Todorovic dabbled with the grappling against Chidi last time in their fight. And he was very successful, actually. But unfortunately for him, right at the end of round one, he ended up getting knocked out by a standing elbow. That just goes to show how creative and how dangerous Chidi is, even when it seems like things are not going well for him. Grappling is the clearest path to victory for Rodriguez. Take him down, grapple, instead of risking getting caught on the feet. Rodriguez can, <laughs> Rodriguez can submit him. That is a very very, I wouldn't say simple, but it is definitely an outcome that Rodriguez is looking into. I mean, I can see a knockout here for Rodriguez, but Njokuwani is just menacing on the feet. I don't think he's going to want to tangle with him, and he's going to kind of play it safe here, get into somewhere where he's more comfortable in, and take over. My prediction Gregory Rodriguez by round two submission. And that leads us 
to the main event of the evening. Corey Sandhagen, number four in the Bantamweight division, taking on Song Ya Dong, the number 10 ranked Bantamweight. This fight is magic from the matchmakers. Um, I think at the time this fight was booked, there were really no other options for the top 10. I mean, Sean O'Malley had any, I think the fight against Pedro was booked already. Uh, Piotr Jan didn't have an opponent. TJ and um, Aljo, that fight was already being discussed. Um, what else was there? There was Marab and Jose Aldo. That was, I think, almost confirmed by then. Uh, Chito Cruz was already confirmed. And um, yeah, so I think this fight makes so much sense. Uh, they, they weren't going to give Corey a rematch against Piotr Jan. So the only logical path to take was to fight down. And the only guy who hadn't had a fight was Song Yadong, who's coming off of a KO in round one of Marlon Marais, and he sent him into retirement. Um, Corey Sanhagen, uh, dive in a bit into him. He stuffs takedowns well. Um, TJ Dillashaw only landed two out of his 19 attempts uh, in their fight. Um, but yeah, Sanhagen throws at a very, very high clip. He's very long. He's very tall for a 135-er. And although that does seem to favor him, that has not been the case in his last two fights where he's gone up against undersized wrestlers in TJ Dillashaw and Piotr Young. My issue with Corey Sanhagen is the fact that he has shown in his last two fights, although it is against two of the world's best bantamweights, he did get hit quite often. He's never been knocked out in his career but Piotr Jan was the first person to drop him. His chin has held up, but Song Dong is a different breed. Something that has to be mentioned is that the kid is only 24 years old. He's already got 26 career fights at age 24, and this is an opportunity to establish himself as one of the world's elite Bantamweights. He has six losses, but I mean, his only UFC loss was against Kyler Phillips, and I'm pretty sure all those losses on his career were when he was 19 years old, when he was 18 years old. The guy's been fighting since he was 15. I mean, he started off his career at one championship, and he made his UFC debut, I think, at the age of 19. And a few years later, here he is. This guy is one for the future. He gets a huge main event spotlight here, and he's only going to grow for me. I mean, the kid trains at Team Alpha Male in Sacramento with your favor. He's going to get so much better. And I think that even though he really didn't get to display a lot of his skills in his fight against Mars, he did show that the guy can knock people out. I mean, obviously, Marais' chin hasn't held up recently, and he is old, and he did end up retiring, but we've seen Song Yadong finish guys in the past. We've seen him hurt people in the past. 
because of Sanhagen's length and reach, I think that he, he has to close a distance here. He is probably, I mean, if I'm being real here, I think he's probably looking to do exactly what Piotr Jan did to him. He won a 49-46 decision at UFC 267, and he's just going to have to outwork him. Um, this fight is probably going to stay standing, and I just can't see Corey Sanhagen winning a 25-minute striking battle after the way we've seen him fight last two times out. I'm not saying he's not going to have his moments. I'm not saying he's not going to be able to land a shot or two here or there. But I just think that Song is going to be able to stun or wobble Corey every now and then. And with that big shot, he's going to be able to potentially steal rounds. We've seen how awkward the judges' scoring has been recently. And especially in main events at the Apex. Corey's constant movement is going to be problematic for Song. But... This guy is so technically gifted. He can bob and weave, and he'll hit you counter with a hook and put you lights out. I'm extremely high on Song Yadong. I mean, I have no clue where his ceiling is in terms of potential. But my prediction here, Song Yadong by decision. The Chinese man is going to beat Corey Sandhagen and enter the top five of the UFC Bantamweight rankings and potentially insert himself into the UFC Bantamweight title picture. Before I end this episode, I want to talk very, very briefly about what happened last week at UFC 279. I mean, that was absolutely bananas. Nothing has ever happened like that in UFC history. And the fact that everything worked out so beautifully was really... (laughs) incredible i mean from the start i was a little i wouldn't say perplexed but i'd say i was a little like kind of suspicious of the fact that there were like welterweight and middleweight fights basically on the entire card especially on the main card main event welterweight bout co-main and featured bout on the main card were both middleweight bouts. And when I first heard that Hamza was on track to miss weight, I was just like, wow. I saw on social media people were already floating the idea of Nate versus Tony, Holland versus Chemaev, and Lee Jinglan against Dana Rodriguez. That was the most logical move that the UFC could have made in response to that and obviously Nate Diaz wasn't going to fight someone like seven eight pounds overweight and the card had to be saved and everybody knew that the three rearranged fights made the card so much better and now what's interesting to me is that people have been talking about whether or not this was fixed whether or not this was set up by the UFC in an effort to boost pay-per-view buys in an attempt to boost engagement and attempt to increase viewership. And my take on it, I absolutely think so. Why would Hamza Shemaev, in his first main event spotlight, pay-per-view against Nate Diaz in Las Vegas, miss weight by seven or eight pounds? 
Like, he's a professional guy. He loves to, but he loves to joke around, obviously. But someone like him is not going to miss weight by that much. It's just a little confusing, especially with the fact that the, I don't even remember the clarity of the situation of whether or not the doctor told him to stop cutting or whether he decided to stop cutting. It, it's just so mind-boggling. On top of that, they wouldn't sanction a fight between Nate and Hamza, which is about an 8-pound difference. And obviously, Nate declined that fight because he had all the right to. But they were still able to reorganize Daniel Rodriguez and Lee Jing Lam. D-Rod weighed in, I think, at 179.5. And Lee Jing Lam weighed in at, one, I think it was 170 or 170, 170.5 or 171.5. I mean, that's about the same difference, if not a bit greater. And that fight still went ahead as planned at cash weight. So, no, I definitely have my suspicions. And the way that that was all everybody was talking about on that Friday, UFC 279, what would happen to the card? Who would fight who? Would they be able to get that done in time? The ceremonial weigh-ins were about to happen. What was going to happen? And that just brought all this frenzy. That brought all this attention. And I think it really paid off. I mean, they were trending everywhere. The fight card ended up being, I mean, some people thought it was all right, but I thought it was pretty, pretty darn good. And yeah, that main card was brilliant. Obviously, the fights were way more competitive than the original three. And um, yeah, quickly going over the results, um, my original predictions for the rescheduled bouts were Legion Lamb beating Daniel Rodriguez by decision. I had Hamza beating Kevin Holland by round two submission. And I had Tony Ferguson winning a decision. Um, the first fight of the three, Li Jingliang and D-Rod. D-Rod won a decision, but I mean, I wouldn't say Li Jingliang got robbed, but I don't think it was the right decision. I mean, you also have to factor in the fact that he's fighting a guy like 10 pounds heavier than him, and he managed to make it that close. And even Dana White himself, I know he's not the greatest MMA judge, but he said that he thought Lee got absolutely robbed. Um, but yeah, I feel for him, especially because Daniel Rodriguez took his number 14 spot in the welterweight rankings. And I thought that there was a rule where if the fight is not occurring at the division, the outcome of that fight cannot affect the rankings. I mean, how can a catchweight fight where Daniel Rodriguez was prepared to weigh in? Um, it wasn't a middleweight fight. His original fight against Kevin Holland was supposed to be catchweight anyways. But the fight wasn't at welterweight. And people were saying he got robbed and he manages to kick Li Jingliang out of the rankings, especially after the week that he's gone through. Didn't get to show off his suit at the press conference. Didn't get to show off his English. Didn't get to fight Tony Ferguson. Was the only man who had to fight someone heavier than him on short notice, one day's notice. And he was basically the only person disadvantaged. And ended up losing the fight, a very, very close one. And I just feel bad for him. Um... But Daniel Rodriguez has already offered to rematch um, and refight him, but we'll see what happens. Um, Komen, Hamza versus Kevin Holland. Uh, I really didn't understand how people thought that Kevin Holland even had a chance. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Holland, his only weakness is wrestling. What does Hamza do? He wrestles. I knew from the get-go that he was just going to shoot and land the takedown. And, you know, Kevin Holland did show off some pretty pretty nice takedown defense for as long as it lasted but 
We all knew Hamza would eventually get the takedown. He did look to gas himself a bit with those submission attempts, but he ended up getting, I think it was what, Kimura or something like that? Um, I already forgot, but yeah, it was just a flawless display, really. But did, did we really expect less? It's Hamza Shemaev. Guy is a certified killer. He's born for these moments, and he knew he would make a fool out of Kevin Holland, and that's exactly what he did. Phenomenal win. I don't think it really increases stock because he's just that good. But yeah, definitely a win that he should be proud of, and we'll see what happens with him. I think he needs to fight Colby Covington, um, but you know, obviously there's he. I think his coach has already confirmed that he's probably going to fight at middleweight next. So I have no clue what is going to happen with him there. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's wanting to fight him at 185. Possibly. The only person I can see is Paulo Costa. But even then, the fact that Paulo Costa is not really near a title shot right now, I don't think he'd want to to, to decrease his chances by taking a risk against Honda. But, I mean, like, like everybody else, they're, they're just scared. And who knows? Hamza is a brilliant fighter. He may not be a fan favorite because of that weight miss, but he is so, so, so skilled, and he's definitely a future UFC champion. The main event, Nate Diaz and Tony Ferguson. I really thought that this was Tony's golden opportunity to get his career back on track against an OG, against an MMA legend, and shake off the cobwebs, but no, he looked... Um, I, I didn't get to see the first two rounds, but he looked awful from from what I heard early on. But yeah, I mean, watching round three, Nate was just toying with him, as Nate always does. But yeah, not a good look for Tony, and then he ended up getting um, subbed while Nate was celebrating. So yeah, I feel bad for him. And um, unfortunately, I think that Tony has to call it a career soon. I think he's only got one more fight left in him. Um, I have no clue what the fight is to make for him i mean if you're looking at the lightweight division there's no one i don't think it'd be a wise thing and i don't think it'd be an honorable thing to give him an up-and-coming prospect um the, the guy's a former interim lightweight champ i think uh, a matchup that kind of makes sense conor mcgregor possibly but we'll see that's talk for another time but yeah nate diaz goes out with a bang um round four submission win over tony ferguson and yeah it just capped off a great night of fights i really really enjoyed it and um yeah moving on 280 that is the card of the year without a doubt but yeah before we get there gotta go through this weekend's card ufc fight night song yadong versus Corey sanhagen i mean this is gonna be a masterpiece of a card i cannot wait i hope you cannot either that is going to be it for the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Glue to the Game. And don't forget to follow on Spotify. Make sure to turn on those notifications so you stay up to date on the latest episodes. Thank you once again for listening, and I'll see you soon.